Tonight's talk is about the transformative power of forgiveness. I have a favorite quote that I'd like to share with you by Sri Nizargadatta. He said that love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. And between (coughs) these two, my life flows. Love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Between these two, my life flows. I had a teacher named Deepama who died last year, um, who for me uh, lived out this teaching. She developed this quality of loving kindness very deeply. So being with her was like being showered blessing of, of love, this feeling of being unconditionally loved. Also being with her was like being showered in this um, space of emptiness. One could feel that she had developed this wisdom. There was no one behind what she did. There was no separate I there. Just before she died last year, I had a dream, and she was teaching me in the dream. I was having a dream about a person that I was having a difficult, or I've had a difficult time with in my life. And she told me in the dream that I had to bow down to this person. And she told me to put my forehead down at this person's feet. And as I put my forehead to his feet, I was to send loving kindness to him. It was a very intense dream because her presence felt so powerful in the dream. And when I woke up, (laughs) when I realized what she was asking me to do, It was really uh, difficult, to say the least. (coughs) Uh, Bowing tends to be quite difficult for us Westerners anyway, and to be able to bow to someone we're having difficulty and actually actually put our forehead to their feet (laughs) is unthinkable. You know, it's a... What I think happens is that we have such a program or conditioning in our mind for self-hatred that we take bowing like that to be self-deprecating, that somehow we're putting ourselves down. We're, make, we're hating. We're, it's an act of self-hatred to bow. But there is another perspective that one can take. If one does the bowing, from a perspective of understanding that there's no one separate there, that one's bowing to the truth, the actual truth of things, that we're very interconnected with all beings, then instead of it being an act of self-deprecation, it's an act of truth and very healing. It has to be done with this understanding, or I don't think it's very healing. If one can actually put one's head on the floor to any being, there's a feeling of utter humility. And again, if it's done with um, an ability to see clearly that we are all interconnected, um, we are acting from this place that love tells me I'm everything. When we can be in touch with this truth of this interconnectedness of us all, it makes a space in our hearts for our heart to open, even to somebody that we have been hurt by or that we have difficulty with. 
this openness of heart can make the space in our hearts for forgiveness. Forgiveness can be a great tool for us to awaken to the reality that there is no separate I on this planet or in this universe. So it can be very transformative because it has this capacity to awaken us to this oneness. If you remember when we did this guided metta meditation or loving-kindness meditation a while ago, uh, it is traditionally begun by extending forgiveness to oneself and then to all beings. So I'd like you to just um, close your eyes, and I wanted to do that with you right now. So just repeat silently to yourself the words that I'm saying after I say them. If I have harmed anyone or any being, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask their forgiveness. If anyone or any being has harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly, I forgive them. We begin with ourselves and then extend to all beings. Forgiveness is an ideal conduct towards all living beings, toward oneself and then all living beings. And to remember that it's ideal. So what happens if we can't forgive ourselves or another human being or any being? A very important aspect of forgiveness is if you don't feel this forgiveness, it's important to learn to be okay with that. It's important to know that it's okay not to be able to forgive. If at the beginning of a loving-kindness meditation you try to do this forgiveness practice and you can't feel it, it's fine, just, <laughs> just skip it. Or if you feel some hurt that comes up, you know, do metta, just skip to, to sending metta to oneself or just do vipassana at that point. Doing vipassana at that point would mean opening to the space of not being able to forgive. The actual moment of being able to forgive is a very, it is the illuminating transformative moment And most of the time, we want to put the cart before the horse. The reason why we do this, we want to to be forgiving all the time. We want to be able to be perfectly forgiving. (coughs) The reason we do this is because we have a fixed model in our mind for how forgiveness should happen. We think that we should always be forgiving, or that we have to be forgiving, or we want to be perfectly finished with any pain that we've had. So I'd like to suggest that forgiveness is most of the time a process, and depending on the degree to which we've been hurt, 
or how close we've been to someone. Um, If we try to forgive ourselves or someone else before we feel the difficult emotions such as sadness or anger, rejection or abandonment or whatever, um, we're in that moment, we're wanting to be immediately and forever (laughs) forgiving. But what's really happening in that moment is that we don't want to feel the difficult emotions that are are coming up. We want to be over with it. That makes it even harder for this process to unfold. These mostly unconscious models for forgiveness that we have is what makes it difficult for us to heal wounds because we're not aware that forgiveness is most of the time a process. In the moment that you've ever felt forgiveness, if you remember it, I would imagine you would, re- you would remember this moment of opening. And this is the moment of healing. It's when the heart opens again. When we're hurt, the heart closes, and we're feeling separate from another at that point. And it's that feeling of separation that's so much suffering. It's that closed heart, that feeling of alienation that's the pain. So in a moment where the heart opens, this is when we feel um, one a oneness again, and that's what's so healing. Forgiveness is when the heart is moist. So how does this forgiveness process occur? Like I said, <laughs> this is the most important part. If the truth of any moment is that we can't forgive, okay. There's the nothing's happening space, there's the happy space, there's the um, I hate everything space, (laughs) there's the concentrated space, there's the I can't forgive space. It's doing Vipassana with it, opening to that landscape of the mind, letting it come and go. When we're able to do this, when we can let that not being able to forgive be there, this makes space in the mind for difficult emotions that are there to surface in their own time. It might be two years, four years, forty years. It's letting it happen in its own time. If we have that um, sense of leaning back on time rather than forcing the issue, Um, the emotions do come. If we can let these difficult emotions, if we can feel them, let them go. Feel them, let them go. You can't let them go until you feel them. Usually over time, at some point one touches the original buried love that was there, that original feeling of connection with that person. And sometimes I think this is really the moment where we really um, feel forgiving and healed. If that happens, that we connect with that care and what I would call love again, Sometimes an enormous amount of grief or a sense of loss will come up because it's however long it's been since you felt that feeling with this person, there's a sense of loss of this oneness. So if you can um, grasp that kind of a process 
and how deep that can go, especially if we've been very close with someone, um, it's possible to actually learn how to forgive and for it to be transforming. I wanted to share um, two ways this could work, an easy to forgive story. (laughs) It's nice to hear easy to forgive story (laughs) and a harder to forgive story. Mm. One time when I was a cook at this meditation center in Massachusetts, uh, which was a while ago, 12 years ago, I had to go down to this clinic um, because I had some physical illness. So I went in and I was waiting in the waiting room. And there was uh, several mothers and children in the waiting room. And while I was sitting there, this <laughs> little boy, he must have been about five years old, came up to me, looked me right in the eye, and said, I hate you. (laughs) And I, you know, I was reading a book and I kind of, you know, it was like I really didn't quite (laughs) uh, feel it at the time, but I I was called in by the nurse to go into, you know, get checked. And then I had to rush back to get to a sitting. So this all happened um, quite quickly, actually. And then when I got back to the sitting, I was sitting there. And I just felt this pain in my heart. And then I heard the, I hate you, and it was just, it really hurt my feelings. Um, and it's, it's like sometimes the hurt or uh, our feelings don't make sense, or, or uh, they're not always so rational. I mean, I didn't know this little boy from a hole in the wall. It wasn't like I was close to him, yet if we're really honest, our hearts are quite vulnerable. And if someone we don't even know comes up to us <laughs> and says they, they don't like us, it kind of hurts. Um, so I, I saw in that sitting you know, that I could open to that unpleasantness, that I could um, forgive him for that. Pretty easy. <laughs> it was a real. That's a real easy to forget story. <laughs> uh, now we're to the difficult <laughs> one. <laughs> About seven years ago, I remembered being um, very abused by a man that I loved a lot when I was a very young child. Um, sexually abused. And I've been watching this process of forgiveness with this man over the past seven years, and it feels like this is where I've learned the most about forgiveness. It's been my greatest teaching about forgiveness. I felt um, the most amazingly difficult emotions of mostly (laughs) not fear and anger, but terror and rage, you know, come up over and over and over and over and over and over. And actually, the first moment of forgiveness was seven years ago. And when it happened, it was like... um, an epiphany, you know, just this, it was like this huge thorn was pulled out of my heart. It was very powerful. And then when I felt that feeling, I thought, oh good. (laughs) I thought, (laughs) forgiveness feels so good, I'm done. (laughs) My heart opened, great. Um, And it did, I thought, I really thought in that moment I was done. But lo and behold, (laughs) uh, what was really happening was that I was thinking, thank God I don't have to feel any of those difficult feelings anymore. I'm so glad this is over with. But I wasn't aware of that at the time. So when the next layer of terror and uh, rage appeared, it was, I thought something was really wrong. 
and I thought I had failed, and, you know, that I was no good, and that I hadn't. I it, I really invalidated that moment of forgiveness. I thought that it wasn't really true. Um, this is what I mean by learning that it's a process rather than having a fixed model for it, because what I saw was that another layer of terror and rage appeared, and then there was this other new moment, even stronger than the next last one, of forgiveness. And even that one, I thought, <laughs> I guess I'm over with this now. The second time, I was a little careful, but <laughs> I thought, well, I think it's done with now. Uh, and then <laughs> it was another layer that surfaced. Uh, as I went through those layers, I found that I would get in touch with this love that, you know, he was like this person in my life that was the only one that ever cared for me. And it was such um, a beautiful feeling, wonderful feeling, to feel that again. You know, it had been so buried and lost for me, um, and very important part of my life that I uncovered. The thing that I wanted to stress the most from this is that it's important for you not to ever invalidate moments of forgiveness that you've had because they're not wasted. You know, it actually is a process, and for some of us with some things, it's very easy and it's quick. It might be that it takes three of those moments, and it is done with. You know, I'm done with that little boy, <laughs> you know, it's over with. And there's been many moments in my life where it's been fairly rapid uh, with very deep, difficult emotions and with people you've loved a lot or have been hurt by. It's usually a process. And it can bring us very, very deep. What I've learned from this is that the more we open to how much we actually care and love other human beings, that the more it hurts. Um, human beings aren't perfect. People hurt each other. And so people make mistakes when we're hurt, the most important thing is that we have this willingness to feel the pain, to feel the hurt. And this takes this incredible mixture of love and mindfulness. It requires an understanding that love isn't about just pleasure. When I was um, doing five weeks of metta, in May and early June, many moments, um, the question came in my mind, well, what is love? When you do metta a lot, it's like it, you can get um, really intrigued by this question, what is, what is love? Um, and I would ask myself, um, well, do I really love greed, hatred, and delusion? Is that what I love in other people or in myself? And it was no, <laughs> of course not. Do you love greed, hatred, and delusion? Uh, no. And so the, when I would ask myself this question, I would always have to go deeper than that. And I think that love is so much deeper than greed, hatred, and delusion. Each person is, um, each, each being is like a, a flower, and we're all very different, unique flowers. Each human being is this amazing mixture of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings or qualities. And learning to open to a whole person, not just the pleasurable parts of a person, is really this love, opening to all these parts and going deeper. 
So love is um, deeper than the pleasure that we can yield from this person because this is just attachment to pleasure. Unfortunately, nobody is perfectly pleasurable all the time. (laughs) It's a good idea. I wish it was true. When we take birth in this human realm, it's uh, taking birth in this mixture of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. And there are very deep roots in all human beings' minds of greed, hatred, and delusion. So underneath the surface of all human beings is is a lot of suffering. It's that holding on to pleasure and pushing away of the unpleasant. What I learned on this last retreat was that this kind of love that I'm describing takes an enormous amount of patience because we have to learn patience with that we have this greed, hatred, and delusion, that it's the actual part of being here. After doing um, my benefactor for one month, I stayed with just doing this person for a month. Um, I moved on to other categories. And you go to all beings, and then you go to (laughs) all personalities and all living beings. It's it's, uh, all females, all males, all uh, enlightened beings, all unenlightened beings. Then you get to all celestial beings. And all celestial beings is kind of fun because it's very pleasurable. And then I got to all human beings. <laughs> and I was sort of on a roll. You know, I was really kind of going well because I had just done celestial beings. <laughs> I was really happy. <laughs> I started doing human beings, and it was like <laughs> it was like I had hit cement. This aversion came up. I was so surprised. Um, you know, just just aversion for what we have to face as human beings, this greed, hatred, and delusion. And I saw that there was so much fear of the unpleasantness that can occur in human relationships because we're not perfect, because it's not just pleasurable. And it took me several days, actually. I had to stay with this category for several days, <laughs> um, uh, just to be with that amount of aversion that was coming up. It was, it was really surprising and interesting to me. The Buddhas um, taught in the First Noble Truth that all, you know, all life is suffering and that there's this greed, hatred, and delusion in people's minds. When I think of um, Deepama, my teacher Deepama's face, or the face of a teacher named Titnat Han, if you look at uh, a person's face who you have a sense has gone very deep in their mind and in their heart, If you look in their eyes, you see that they haven't avoided this dilemma. You see that they've opened very deeply to this unpleasant side of our humanity and accepted it uh, unconditionally with, with this tremendous metta, with this unconditional love or acceptance. There's a possibility for opening to it, allowing it, but not identifying with it, being free, totally free. Acceptance of this first noble truth and forgiveness go together. Um, 
Forgiveness is a process, and it's a much quicker process and a much easier process if the other person, if another person who has hurt us acknowledges the behavior that caused us pain. I wanted to just speak a bit about communication in terms of helping speed up the process of forgiveness. If the intention in our communication um, process is to understand rather than to judge or blame or condemn the other person, um, a healing can occur. Usually if somebody hurts us, it's an extremely unpleasant feeling and anger will arise, aversion will arise. We can learn to do vipassana with that. We, f- we open to that hurt, we open to the, the um, anger, allow it, not identify with it, it's just hurt, just anger. We can feel it, let it go. That's taking responsibility for our part in the process. It's if we can take responsibility for feeling it and letting it go, or at least feeling it. Uh, Usually we can go to the person, communicate without attacking the person. Uh, If we haven't felt the anger, we'll attack the person. Take longer. It is possible. You know, it doesn't require the other person. It's just slower. There's a Native American um, saying to not judge another person unless you've walked a mile in their moccasins. (laughs) Not to judge another person unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. What is meant by that? If any time we've been hurt in our life, if, we, if it's possible for us to understand the conditions that has made it possible for that person to do or say what they have done, if we understand the conditions that motivated that behavior, then we can usually understand that we would be capable of the very same thing and we're able to forgive much easier at that point. It's, it requires understanding the heart of another being. And this takes usually an enormous amount of effort on our part to really try to understand another person rather than, it's much easier to judge, it's much easier to blame, it's much easier to condemn. Um, This is a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. (laughs) Solzhenitsyn. (laughs) He says, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? It's much simpler to make the world into the good guys and the bad guys, cowboys and Indians. Solzhenitsyn is saying (laughs) that the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. He says, look into your heart. If we're able to um, develop this kind of understanding of looking into another person's heart, 
the forgiveness process happens much quicker. Uh, in, in Pali, the word for heart and mind are the same word. Um, in, in this tradition, the heart center, which is here, is considered to be the seat, seat of the mind. The heart and the mind aren't separate in this um, tradition. Forgiveness requires understanding, and mindfulness is um, a very important aspect of the process. If forgiveness has no understanding, that's when it's dry and brittle. It has no heart. When, when forgiveness is dry, it's when we think, I should forgive, or I have to forgive. Moist or wet forgiveness includes non-identification. Moist is non-judgmental. It's when love and mindfulness come together. True forgiveness isn't dry. Moist forgiveness is when mindfulness is present and that whatever is happening is okay. It's when, if the sadness is there, if rejection is there, if hurt is there, that we're able to let that come and go and not force it. This non-judgmental awareness or mindfulness softens this process. It's the key. The deepest understanding is that there is nobody, there is no separate I behind this whole human existential situation. There's no one forgiving. There's no one forgiven. There's just forgiveness. This um, just forgiveness or moistness means that we go beyond self-righteousness. We go beyond blaming others, and we go beyond blaming ourselves. Which brings me to forgiving ourselves. It's being able to treat ourselves like we would treat another. The amount of um, self-hatred that is in most human beings is quite staggering or awesome when we can't even forgive ourselves for not being able to forgive. This is an example. Or we don't forgive ourselves for not being generous enough. Or we can't forgive ourselves for um, we think we're not good enough, or we're not smart enough, or we're not concentrated enough, <laughs> or we get sick. <laughs> we don't forgive ourselves for our bodies breaking down. Um, we're not forgiving of ourselves <laughs> if we're not quite mindful enough. <laughs> we're uh, real good at <laughs> self-hatred. Mm-hmm. If you've ever felt like you've caused harm, it's important to ask yourself if self-hatred, self-flogging, guilt is happening, or is true remorse happening. If we've hurt someone or some being, um, more self-hatred and guilt isn't healing. And mindfulness is so important. Um, When we're aware of any behavior that we've acted out causes pain in this world, true remorse means that we've opened to it. We've accepted that it happened. We allow it. Um, And then we can really feel genuinely sorry. (coughs) It's a feeling of genuine remorse. 
And usually when we feel this, we'll have a, a very strong intention in the mind not to, not to do that again. It's so powerful, that feeling of um, not wanting to cause harm. But this doesn't mean guilt. It doesn't mean self-hatred. That's, that's <laughs> extra, and it doesn't heal anything. remember when I was young, uh, my mother went through a long process of dying. She had cancer. And there were many times where I felt incredibly helpless in the situation. Um, As a child, I kept thinking that I could heal her somehow. Uh, And I thought that um, it was my fault for not healing her, that it was my fault that she died. And it took me a long time um, to forgive myself for that, that I couldn't save her or heal her. But do you see the difference between, you know, guilt or self-hatred and any kind of uh, true remorse in the mind. You know, there were many times where I felt that I didn't care about her enough or help her enough. And there were many times of, of seeing that there was genuine remorse in the mind for that. But there was a certain point where I could look back and say, I really did the best I could in the situation. But it was, a, it was an un, unweaving or an unraveling process until I got to the point where I could see that, yeah, I, I really did the best I could in that situation and forgive myself for anything that I couldn't do in that situation. When I originally um, thought about this uh, subject of forgiveness, I never even thought about self-forgiveness. <laughs> You know, it was like I had this sort of um, complete block about that part of forgiveness. Um, I think that what I see about Westerners particularly is that it's often harder for Westerners to forgive themselves than it is to forgive others. Relationship to all beings in this universe. Um, I think that remembering the precepts every day in our life, kind of not as uh, commandments, but guidelines for non-harming, is real helpful. I have some friends in Honolulu who just every morning just read the precepts to themselves as a way of just keeping this in mind. Remembering that all beings who take birth in this universe know fear. They know the fear of unpleasantness. Nobody wants to feel unpleasantness. Nobody wants to feel hurt. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to be rejected. Um, and being able to bring a non-judgmental awareness that includes our relationship to all beings um, means that our heart has opened unconditionally with this kind of pure love to all beings. All beings are so um, interconnected. I'm not sure how many of you have, uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of the huge oil spill that happened in Alaska recently, uh, the the great Exxon accident last year. Um, And I was teaching, I think it was, I was teaching in Vancouver, Canada, when I heard about this 
great oil spill. And I remember in my mind when I was sitting, I um, heard the news, and there was this tremendous blame going on. There was blame of the um, captain of the ship who they said had been um, drinking. And then there was this blame of um, Reagan who never would pass the law in the country for um, double-hulled ships that prevent these, that help prevent these accidents. Um, and then I heard that they could have decided to blow up the ship or something that might have prevented this. And um, it's so easy for us to go for blame. You know, I remember sitting there going through all that blame myself and then realizing uh, toward the end of the sitting, well, um, there is the gas I put in my car and there is the oil that we all use to heat our houses. Um, there's the greed that um, more and more human beings seem to be displaying for comfort, more energy, more convenience. Uh, it's like we're all participating in this one way or the other, us human beings. Um, I'm not saying that... I think it's very important to hold people accountable for their mistakes uh, and to really have an intention to understand what happens that may cause harm and want to make a change to find out what has happened. Um, yet, I think that the tendency in us is to always blame rather than see the interconnectedness that we all participate in on this planet, um, to judge rather than see our part in it. Mm. And that's why I think that we need so much forgiveness, you know, for us as human beings, for all beings in the planet, um, our own lack of awareness. In regard to the wounds that we've experienced in our life, or the wounds and suffering we see in other beings' lives, other humans, other beings, I think it's important for us to see that we can actually accept what happens on this planet unconditionally. That doesn't mean that it makes it right but just the fact that these things happen in our own lives and other beings' lives. And when we can accept it, that that makes it workable in terms of feeling the feelings, the difficult feelings that come up, that arise, it makes the difference between aversion to the suffering and true compassion, which is opening to the suffering. Compassion is a quivering of the heart. Realizing that um, awareness is deeper than any wound that can happen in this, in this universe. That this mindfulness is stronger and the metta is stronger than anything that is possible on this planet. And so this opening to suffering in this way allows us to go very, very deep. It's a very deep teaching, this first noble truth. The Dalai Lama teaches that our enemies teach us tolerance and patience. And um, it was a wonderful moment for the world when he won the Nobel Peace Prize last year. We're still finding out the horrors that have gone on in Tibet since he left Tibet. Uh, 
And he didn't try to wake up the world through the process of anger, but he didn't keep quiet. You know, this amazing balance in the mind of just um, trying to verbalize what happened, open to it, try to understand it, but not just be passive. He try, he keeps trying to change it. He didn't keep quiet. He didn't attack. It's the great teaching for us all. This kind of um, ability to express uh, love tells me I'm everything, wisdom tells me I'm nothing, this a balance of openness, of oneness, and detachment of non-identification takes tremendous strength. Forgiveness takes tremendous strength. Often people have this idea that forgiveness is for the weak. Um, Without this ability to have this balance of love and detachment, it's not possible to forgive. I'd like to end this talk about forgiveness with a prayer. It's called the Prayer of the Bodhisattva. Let me not pray to be sheltered from dangers, but to be fearless in facing them. Let me not beg for the stilling of my pain, but for the heart to conquer it. Let me not look to allies in life's battlefield, but to my own strength. Let me not crave in anxious fear to be saved, but hope for patience to win my freedom. (laughs) 